Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Hey folks, I am super excited to tell you a bit about today's new sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, MMC hosts different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Bill Frizzell, Kurt Rosenwinkel, Julian Lodge, Mark Rabot, Wayne Krantz, O'Teal Burbridge, the Milk Carton Kids, and so many more. At an event like Alternative Guitar Summit Camp happening this August, you can expect in-depth workshops with guitar masters, once-in-a-lifetime performances, the opportunity to play alongside your favorite musicians, and a lot of fun. You'll leave this event packed full of wisdom and with a whole community of musicians to create with. This all-inclusive week in the Catskills Mountains of upstate New York is guaranteed to be magical. Scholarships are available. Spots are extremely limited. So visit www.alternativeguitarsummitcamp.com moods to learn more. Today's episode of Moods and Modes is made with the help of members of our Patreon community. I'm going to give a special shout-out at the end of this episode to some special folks, and you can join us by going to patreon.com slash Skolnick. Here is episode two. From Brooklyn, New York, this is Moods and Modes. I'm your host, Alex Skolnick. I'm probably best known as a professional guitarist. I'm also a writer, a photographer, and someone who occasionally gets told to keep his opinions to himself on Twitter. This podcast will involve music and guitar, but it may take us to some unexpected places as well. So, thank you for joining me, and let's do this. Carnatic music is one of the oldest forms of music in the world as a classical art. Um, and the most traditional instrument is the veena. And in fact, it's something very uh, auspicious to the whole Hindu way of thinking that the goddess of music for us, Saraswati, is always pictured with the veena. That is our prasana, better known as prasana or guitar prasana. And uh, he's a great musician from Chennai, India. Under normal circumstances, pre-pandemic, he splits his time between there and New York. We met up in 2018 
the original idea for this podcast, by the way, was going to be one-on-one conversations and jam in person. Now that's proving even more difficult. So it's definitely broadening the scope of this podcast. But I do have a few sessions from when uh, I first started with uh, different musicians. And this is one of them. So a quick disclaimer, we're both holding guitars and we're plugged into big amplifiers. So that's why our conversation is a little noisy. Now we had met before. We've actually played together. We did a couple of fun trio shows in New York, just two guitars, myself and Prasanna, and the great drummer Anton Fig, formerly of the David Letterman Show and currently of Joe Bonamassa. So it was fun to just sit with Prasanna and talk about his influences. I distinctly hear a sitar influence, but he also talks about this instrument that I'm much less familiar with called the veena. Let's check it out. The veena is most commonly used in Carnatic music, which is South Indian classical music, and its sitar is a much later offshoot of that, which is much more hybrid with other influences. So I guess my playing in some way is similar to the veena, but I don't think so, because we don't have a separate instrumental tradition, so what we sing is what we play. Mm-hmm. So I'm also hearing a lot of vocal music, which has become a part of how I play. Now, as it turns out, I got a message from Prasanna. We're talking now, 2020. In fact, the day I was getting ready to record this podcast, uh, letting me know about a short performance being broadcast on YouTube with, uh, and I quote, one of the most killer Carnatic singers of today, with uh, Prasanna accompanying him. Uh, The singer's name is Abhishek Raghuram. I hope I got that right. Let's check it out. Here you, you can really hear the similarity between this uh, Indian vocal styling and Prasanna's guitar playing. Prasanna and Abhishek Raghuram in 2014, recorded live in Mumbai. That is a sound we're just not used to hearing in the West. So now we're going to talk about a late great musician who was a huge influence on Prasanna. This was somebody who also played a Western instrument, in this case the mandolin, and played Carnatic music on it, which uh, was considered sacrilegious at the time he did it. He was shunned and blacklisted. Later he was considered a hero, rightfully so. Uh, this musician's name is Yu uh, Srinivas, and uh, let's hear a quick sample of him. And keep in mind, this is the mandolin, the same thing you hear in bluegrass music. <laughs> So I, I would say he opened some doors for my head, yeah. <laughs> for sure. That's amazing. I uh, saw John McLaughlin the first time in San Francisco, late 90s. They were playing the, for warm-up music. Uh, the CD was uh, Srinivas. 
Mm. And I didn't know what it was. And there are very few um, artists where the music is so inspiring, I'll actually go up to the sound crew and say, oh, excuse me, what is this you know, pesky guy coming up asking? But they were very nice and happy to share this music. Mandolin player, he told me the whole story, how uh, he's, you know, it was very unusual to play that way on a mandolin. Definitely, and uh, so and he, he made it really big when he was like 11 or something. And uh, he, he was only like two or three years maybe older to me, and mm -hmm. unfortunately he's no more, that's a very sad that thing. That's very sad. Very sad. Um, yeah, I think also there has been a history of Western instruments being used for Carnatic music. Mm -hmm. uh, the violin is the most common instrument today, mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of people in uh, South India probably don't even realize that the violin is a Western instrument. Of course they know, but I'm just saying it's, it's almost like it's endemic to Carnatic music. It fits so well, and for the last hundred years it's been a very big part of Carnatic music. And uh, so, so for violin, and then you have Srinivas playing mandolin, me playing electric guitar. There's uh, Kadri Gopal Nath playing alto saxophone. There was AKC Natarajan uh, before that playing a clarinet. So using all these Western instruments in Carnatic music has always been there. I guess Carnatic musicians uh, have always been restless about finding something. Of course, only the very best could take it and do something with it uh, that can changed the landscape a bit. I didn't get into Carnatic music first. I was into guitar music. Mm -hmm. I was into Indian film music, which is Ilayraja's music, which is great, very guitar-centric, very sophisticated, and uh, and rock and roll. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my friends turned me on to Santana and Deep Purple, and all these were my early influences. Yeah. So I'm processing something which is so specific to India, which is Indian film music, and and Ilayraja's music, which, you know, blended everything from Baroque to Earth, Wind and Fire, like grooves to Carnatic Ragas to everything. So it was there up in the air. And then I'm like listening to Blackmore and uh, Santana and um, those guys, uh, a whole another world of guitar playing. I should point out that Prasanna has plenty of Western influences as well, Blackmore and Santana, as he mentioned, and he has no problem quoting a Scorpions riff. He's a proud Rush nerd, <laughs> and uh, Van Halen, and all, all the same influences we have. But as far as his uh, signature sound, um, developing that was really interesting. Uh, here he talks about how he tra translated Carnatic sounds onto the guitar. Uh, I guess the debate was slides versus bends. Yes, yeah. When I started playing Carnatic music initially on my own and then started training formally, yes. most of the stuff was played by slides, you know, and I was playing acoustic guitar, right? So even if I, if, if what I heard someone sing, if I heard someone say, sing, then I would go, Right? Very cool. Now, the uh, idea of bends don't occur because the inflections in Carnatic music mm. are very specific and sometimes even staccato, right? Okay. Uh, so if I had to do stuff like then yes. But in this music, those inflections don't happen. Nice. They're more slides, right? It's like the classic paradox. Does a vocalist slide or bend? I don't know. But for me, a vocalist slides in yeah. this style. Therefore, the guitar seemed to just fit in perfectly mm -hmm. 
for an 11-year-old kid like me to do that, especially on acoustic guitar. I didn't even know you can bend. But when I heard Blackmore and all these guys, and I'm like, look, this, these, they're not sliding. They're doing something yeah. else. <laughs> Pretty good at bends, that guy. Yes. That Blackmore guy. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so they're doing something else. Then I was like, ooh, this is cool. I could do this. I could be, I could enjoy a more diverse way of guitar playing. So I've, I've been a guitar player at heart. And when you put that love for guitar, and when you put the love for your roots, mm -hmm. where you come from, and a strong passion for the music that reflects it, yeah, what came was what I played. So, so let's play something. Let's, yep. What you just played was really nice. That's already inspiring ideas in my head. Let's play it.
Okay, let's stop that there. That's only about half of that jam, believe it or not. Uh, we got a little carried away. Not that that's a bad thing. You'll hear the rest of it. But uh, first, let's get back to our conversation. And before we do, uh, just a couple things to take note of. I may have mentioned this earlier, but at this time, my recording equipment was new and I was still adjusting and on the learning curve of this type of recording. We're both playing through amps, and the amps are mic'd up, and I probably didn't take into consideration how dynamic our playing is sometimes, so occasionally if you hear the levels too hot, uh, pardon me, but it shouldn't happen too often. Let's get back to our conversation, and then you'll hear some more music. Yeah, the idea of open strings is such a cool thing. I mean, I'm, you know, you and I both went through our jazz schooling and like still play jazz and realize that so much of open strings has been shut out when you mm -hmm. you know when you play a lot of the jazz vocabulary or at least in the beginning uh, where, where did you study jazz initially by myself but oh. then of course then i went to berkeley berkeley okay yeah so when did you go to berkeley i first went in 94 or nice. something okay and then I buzzed off after a year and I came back a few years later and uh, initially it was it was about I guess it was I would say the music that really turned me towards jazz was believe it or not Steely Dan mm -hmm. I was a huge 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 Steely Dan fan and of course other stuff like electric I mean uh, Return to Forever and Weather Report and all that but much less I think I was so into song form you know coming from Carnatic music and coming from listening to a lot of rock music and film songs in India uh, the instrumental stuff was fine, but I think the way Steely Dan put that in songwriting, yeah, you know, there's a specific craft of making all that stuff work in a four-minute four, four minute song. He is absolutely right. I've been on a whole rediscovery phase with Steely Dan lately, and it's partially been brought on by my most recent gear purchase, which is a 1960 Fender Super Amp courtesy of Retrofret, which they got at the auction at the estate sale for uh, Walter Becker, the late great co-founder of Steely Dan. This was his amp, uh, one of many, but one he definitely used. It still has uh, the studio markings on it. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, I've actually got an upcoming episode on the amp and the store Retrofret. Uh, you will hear that soon. And just one more thing for those wondering, the guitar that Persona is playing is a Paul Reed Smith, and there's nothing unusual about it. It's not fretless, although the way he plays sounds like it could be. And I'm playing my ESP signature guitar, the Alex Skolnick model. The amps we're playing through are uh, my combo amps. I forget who's playing through which amp, but one of them is a Fender Vibrolux reissue. The other one's a PV Classic 50. So let's get back to our conversation, and here we talk about how annoying it is to deal with purists in every genre. We've all had to deal with them. Check it out. People were asking me, oh, Steely Dan is not jazz. Like, I don't care if it's jazz or not. But it's... most of the players that you're hearing with Steely Dan, at least yeah. you know, the, uh, the signature music after the first couple records, uh, yeah. they're all you know, pro-jazz players. Sure, but they were Steve using Steve Gadd, Larry Carlton, right? But they were using Records. jazz as a way to connect their ideas, 
they were not using jazz like jazz. Absolutely. When you hear the other players' records, they don't sound like Steely Dan. No. no. Right? So, so they had a method. And, uh, and a lot of jazz people get threatened by the fact that, <laughs> you know, somebody like that, oh, that's not really jazz, you know, but they make a lot of money, you know. You know, all this yeah. negativity that always happens in the musician's world. Always happens. You know, exactly. People like us, you and I are like, hey, what's the big deal, you know? This metal school, rock is cool, jazz is cool, world music styles are cool, so let's just chill and, you know, enjoy and play it, you know? But anyway, that so happens coming, every, yeah, in every school of music, too. Like, yeah, well, yeah. I don't mean just literal schools, but, you know, um, genres and communities of music. That Absolutely, and I, I fully understand that because I come from a classical art form like Carnatic music. And, you know, I know like so many things are uh, not necessarily, you know, so any classical art people tend to take hierarchical yeah. liberties. And it's a tough um, juxtaposition, you know, it's wonderful treasures of music exist there and uh, you want to study them on a deeper level. Yes. But it's very hard to do that without encountering some of these issues, uh, especially from purists who exist and, you know, we, I'm not going to single anybody out, they exist everywhere. Yeah. I still, I still have people like, you know, being completely flabbergasted that I play electric guitar for Carnatic music. They're like, your heresy. You know, yeah, what was like, like uh, Srinivas like publicly sh shamed, right? For we <laughs> said they somebody said he was you know, desecrating the classical, and yeah, then all of that it turned like around, and then everybody got got it. They caught up to him. Yes. So back to that Steely Dan story that brought me to Berkeley, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and yeah, so that that uh, that whole rock thing temporarily stopped while I had to navigate <laughs> a whole new world of Wes Montgomery's and George Princeton's and Charlie Christian's and Kenny Burrell's and all these people who I, I had no idea who they were, <laughs> you know. Wes Montgomery maybe I knew, but not Kenny Burrell and Yeah, uh, but they're all, Green. it's all the great stuff to know. It is, it is. I mean, it, it, it really uh, opened me up. And then, of course, I think the big light wave came from John Coltrane. Sure. Uh, which settled me into jazz as a passion for the music rather than as a thing which where I could figure out intellectually what's going on sure uh, so it hit me like a like a meteor so then Coltrane uh, and actually I started liking I started appreciating Hendrix a little deeper after mm -hmm. I got into Coltrane mm -hmm. uh, because I found something which was pretty common both were searching for ways to liberate themselves from what existed before uh, and then I would connect that to all the great uh, uh, legendary Carnatic musicians uh, like Balachandar on the Veena and you know we're doing things like which is like so so cool and so radical mm -hmm. um, and the same then I got so much into classical music and much of what I did in Berkeley was classical composition mm -hmm. so I was a complete Bartok nut Oh, yeah. It was just breathing Bartok and probably Stravinsky every day. Um, and I've sat and analyzed every string quartet of Bartok, uh, you know, many of his... Bartok string quartets are amazing. Right. Yeah. And to me, Bartok string quartet number two is like more metal than anything else. It's so metal. I got into that from... I befriended a community of classical musicians 
and they uh, they're still great friends of mine. They said, yeah, but there's this there's some classical music that we think is like metal. Yeah, right of spring. Come on, what's more metal than that? It's like dun dun dun. dun yeah, dun, 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 I was dun, dun. aware of all that. Yeah, right of spring, uh, the planets by yeah. Holst. Yeah, and there there are more melodic dur- metal though planets. Yes, but there are dir- I mean there's direct ripoffs of the planets in found in heavy metal and and used you know in a, in a good way. What I'm referring to there is the song "Am I Evil." which was originally done by a band with a small cult following called Diamond Head. But once the song was covered by Metallica, it received new life. And those of you who know the song, well, if you think about the beginning of the song, the whole thing, it's not enough to say that it was inspired by a classical piece. It is a classical piece. Uh, It's taken from... A movement of uh, a, a classical suite. Each each movement is named after a different planet, and the movement called Mars is uh, exactly like that. At least the beginning, and it's very well done. But if you if you're not familiar with the source of that, you should definitely hear it. The composer is Gustav Holtz, and uh, the suite is called uh, the Planets. And the whole thing is is really great. So I hope you're enjoying things so far. Let's go back to our jam earlier. This is the second half of our jam, and then we'll continue. I'll see you on the other side of this jam. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
you go. Yeah. <laughs> we always have fun. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking of all kinds of stuff while we were playing that. It's interesting. Like it's funny. Like the references that come up when you're jamming on something. Some of them are very random. Oh yeah. Like this one progression we were doing. We we're going. Yeah. Right. It's kind of a standard progression. But yeah. I'm thinking, believe it or not, this is the weirdest reference, but I'm thinking Eminem. And then there's other stuff that's just completely different. Like, believe, you know what I was thinking? <laughs> I was thinking like badge or actually white room. Uh -huh, I was right. like the reverse, right? Yeah, sure. There was got, it got bluesy. Right? So we were going... But yeah, that's the Berkeley... Line cliche thing or whatever. And then uh, a little bit I was thinking Mark Knopfler. Like this, uh, this one like... Yes. There you go. I should have done a bit of that. Something like that. Yeah. Or maybe... <laughs> so if somebody's interested in your style of Carnatic guitar playing, and they already play, what's a good starting point? What would you recommend for somebody that's interested in just getting a basic handle on your style? Well, I have a DVD uh, of, you know, many years ago I did one called Ragamorphism, but I'm going to do a bunch of lesson DVDs or whatever new medium. I'm just going to pause for a moment to add that uh, Persona has a whole series of instructional material, some very short videos, some longer form. And uh, his website is guitarprasana.com. And you can also find him on Instagram at guitarprasana. P-R-A-S-A-N-N-A. I could just demonstrate a couple of things to just, uh, sure. you know, help people. That'd be great. One of the things that uh, my style of playing involves a lot, obviously, is slides. But I do that without using a metal slide. I do that with finger slides, and I'm not the only one. I mean, I know Dickie Betts does that, like, you Absolutely. know, Derek Trotz does that, you do it, you know, yeah. a lot of people do it. And uh, one of the things that uh, they could do, any guitar players can do, just I'm just giving some cool ideas, hopefully, is that, you know, everybody knows. Everybody does that, but few people do. So, you know, the same slides that you do, if you just start doing a little bit, back flapping so you're going back and forth yeah so that that just opens up new thing yeah or it suddenly has a different ring right so basically what it is is uh you're you're starting with a root in this yeah. case a uh third string second fret moving up to the next node of the pentatonic scale which is c right but on the same string sliding up but sliding back down yeah. so that's sliding down and sliding up as a pair creates a new sound, mm -hmm. right? It's just one new sound. Uh, the other thing that uh, changes here is that some phrases that guitar players have tried uh, or play using hammer, mm -hmm. hammer-ons and pull-offs, can be tried with slides. For example, sure. They all know this. Yes. Everybody knows this. this old chestnut. Yeah, but how about... Oh, that's a good idea. Right? Oh. So use all the other things. Yeah, you did a cool vibrato there. 
that you could do that. Yeah, I don't do a lot of it, but occasionally I'll I'll uh, venture into that territory. So on Bollywood Jam, which we've jammed on together, in the intro, what I would do, I would go up to a higher note, like say, right, mm -hmm. and then back down. Oh yeah. that I have to brush up on it but that's the idea yeah the Th these are things that like what what you're doing is what I'm saying that everybody can get started yeah I mean beyond that there's a lot of other stuff which you know which requires a lot of diligent listening and you know maybe some level of training so yeah what's a good next step so say somebody already has the basic slides under their fingertips. Yeah, I, th I think what do you just do next? I, uh, besides listening to all the good question. What do you yeah. do next? I think, um, I think, some exercises mm -hmm. uh, may help. Like for example, playing a major scale uh, in intervals, but using slides. I, I did this for a Berklee College of Music uh, lesson. Mm -hmm. and it's a very. For example, I play. Let's say you play an A major scale. And play in intervals like thirds. And and try that with slides. Simple exercises, I think if you could just get the vocabulary of um, of touch using any of these sliding ideas first. Yeah. Develop a, 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 a feel for how your fingers feel, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's a good next step. So if you could play what you play already, uh, along with the other guitar things that you use and mix in some of these slides, um, the world is still so new with this style of guitar playing, right? I mean, come on, the bending styles have been looked into so much, yes. and, you know? But uh, where the guitar world is in an infancy as far as sliding on the guitar, and I mean, I could help in opening that world, which I do through my students, through a lot of things that I do. Yeah, do you have a school in India, right? Which yeah. you're associated with. Yeah, What's I in, uh, founded a college called Swarnabhumi Academy of Music. In Chennai. In Chennai. And then I teach a lot of young kids. Uh, and, uh, you know, and Some of people. these kids are unbelievable, by the way. I've yeah, seen really awesome, videos, right? I've met a couple of them, yeah. Yeah, so I do that. But I think that there's a larger thing to it. If we just leave all the style talk and just look at what is it that's the next super cool guitar technique that can change things. I think it's this. Yeah. I think it's this. I There's think no doubt. Right. Uh, everything That's else I know has been demonstrated. Yeah. This one, luckily, uh, but people need help with this because yeah. it's this level of, like if I play. on earth somebody would think about it unless they know the vocabulary which comes Where from the comes tradition from. therefore sure. people need help yeah. to get into this these kind of things and I'm you know that's that's my focus at this point in my life to see how I could be part of a larger like I could 
make a larger difference not just through my music but by by exposing people to this limitless possibilities of playing on the electric guitar that does not rely on external tools right and applying them to their own music and i guess this is going to be a lot of my rest of my life's focus very seriously if i could add something to the guitar vocabulary that is useful for the whole world sure. and not just a few people who's into world music sure, sure. or something cool you know uh, so yes I am very passionate about that and I hope I could make a larger contribution I think you will yeah that's it's a whole new whole new world for many people um, just explain for, for those who don't know um, like what you were just playing is uh, somebody might ask, is, the, is that a raga? Yes, it is. It is raga. It okay. is a raga. And uh, can you explain uh, in terms that somebody new to this concept can understand? Maybe uh, give me a raga for dummies. <laughs> That's a cool one. <laughs> um, so playing a scale, when when you play a scale, right, when you, when you let's say, play... When you play A major scale, let's let's say I'm improvising over an A major scale, right? Now those bends are the ones which create that emotion. Otherwise, it would have been. That's pretty nice, but wasn't as nice as the previous one, right? Therefore, how you color the scale using other devices that little vibrato whatever it is there exactly like what we do in all other kinds of music is what you do in a raga so, so you take the A major scale and add a few things that humanizes that dry scale through some inflections and create a certain emotion associated with it so this is all it is it's no big deal is it a pattern is it a musical pattern that gets well, repeated on a macro level, this is all it is. On a micro level, there are a few things that need to be done for it to sound like that. But the uh, process of explaining the micro level has been done by so many people and, and, and it's not done very well because people have not understood what a raga is on a macro level. Right? On a macro level, it is just an expressive vehicle for taking a scale, right? and finding an emotion that comes from how you play the scale rather than what the notes are. That, I think, is the most important thing. Therefore, if you play like that, maybe that's a metal raga. If you play... That's another way of playing. Okay, so it's it's really more about tonality and yeah, and it's it's quality. more about getting the emotion of that scale out, and to do that now that's the simplest explanation. The macro, the micro, without going into specifics, is something that comes from that community's way of looking at music, in how they look at songs, how they, uh, you know, uh, f like 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 in any any situation. A particular emotion can be conveyed in multiple ways. For example, this 
conveys maybe a sense of wonder or some kind of an atmosphere. The same atmosphere can be conveyed melodically also, right? Maybe. So harmonically, melodically, in the raga format, in some other format, it could be any of these things, right? I think if we understand that, that it is just another way of expressing what you can do, it's then easier to understand what exactly goes on. But most often people don't see the macro picture and they try to imitate what they hear and they get stuck. And uh, if you hear something like this is a specific way to play that. And the reason why there's a specific way to play that is because that's when you get that emotion. So most people stop trying to get all the details. They go, yeah, yeah, man, it sounds good. It doesn't. It's not what I played before. So if you go into all the small details, just like how we do in jazz or we do in all those things, from an emotional expressivity point, then your ear can start hearing those uh, details and you could reproduce them. But if you short circuit yourself by like, you know, I know a lot of people who, yeah, man, I play Indian music. Uh, and it's not, a, yeah, it's a yeah, but very it's incomplete. A, yeah, but whether it's Indian music or not is not the debate. Does it have an emotion that makes you feel beautiful? Mm -hmm. Should be the only debate. That is why when somebody like plays like, yeah, yeah, man, this guy sings. Right, that's or more this, blues. this girl sings. You could still call that a raga. Exactly. So the idea, exactly. There's a beauty towards what you play, which is not about the notes, which is about how you play. So a raga cool. is a way of playing. That's all. Okay, good to know. Yeah. On that note, let's, let's play uh, something else. All right, before we hear this final jam, I just want to mention a couple projects that directly connect to this episode. One of them is Planetary Coalition, the most ambitious undertaking I've ever done. <laughs> it's an album produced and composed by yours truly, uh, an acoustic guitar album, but each track features musicians from all over the world from different nations. Um, I, and I have a song, Passage to Pramiyama, with musicians from India, including a great singer, Kiran Alawalia, and a fantastic tabla player, Nitin Mitta. Now, both of them were uh, mentioned to me that they knew this guitar player that they really think I should meet. And guess who that turned out to be? <laughs> so that, that was the connection here. And coincidentally, a few years before that, um, on my trio album, we'd opened with an original called Bollywood Jam. That was inspired by some music I was hearing in movies, such as uh, Slumdog Millionaire. And the composer was A.R. Rahman. A.R. Rahman's right-hand person for guitar is Persona. So that was just a weird, cool coincidence. Incidentally, we're at the point where I thought we would be wrapping up. I envisioned these episodes being 40 to 45 minutes, as I mentioned in episode one. But uh, there's more music to play. So let, let's hear this uh, final jam, and then I'll, I'll see you afterwards with some closing thoughts. Check it out.
And that's our show. That was really fun. That was all made up on the spot, as was the earlier stuff. And uh, it was great to have Persona. I want to thank him for being a great guest. And thank you guys for listening. Thank you all the Patreon supporters for um, helping make this possible. And special shout out to our new premium members. Um, forgive me if I don't get these names all exactly right. Brandon Ensane, uh Chad Ciccarelli, Alex Wheeler, Kane Kappas, Larry McConnell, and everybody. It's just a huge help. You can go to Patreon slash Alex Skolnick to support. And you can also support the podcast just by spreading the word, leaving a review. That would be awesome. We just launched on the big platforms, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So reviews are greatly appreciated. Moods and Modes is produced by yours truly. Also edited and also the opening theme music and the closing theme music uh, where I have help from Man Zabrowski on drums and Nathan Peck on bass also known as Alice Coleman Trio, A-S-T. If you're just hearing this podcast at random and aren't familiar with my own social media presence, uh, you can find me. I'm easy to find it at Alex Skolnick, A-L-E-X-S-K-O-L-N-I-C-K, on Twitter and Instagram. The Real Alex Skolnick on YouTube, Alex Skolnick Official on Facebook, alexskolnick.com on the web. That's it. We did it. Episode number two is in the books. See you next time. I want to tell you about the April-May 2023 issue of Relics Magazine. It features a Dave Matthews Band cover story with additional articles and interviews with The National, Graham Nash, Wayne Shorter, ALO, Ivan Neville, our friend Eric Krasno and Stanton Moore, Marty Stewart, and much more. Check out the latest version of Relics and subscribe now at relics.com slash DMB. Thanks, Relics. Hi, this is Henry K host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.